today. John 20, verse 21, I encourage you to memorize it. Hopefully you'll, be, you'll have it easy to re- recollect after it's proclaimed today. John 20, verse 21, keep your finger there because we'll come back to this later in the message for the little bonus principle that I'm not going to share yet. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so, say even so, I am sending you. One more time. As the Father has sent me, even so, I'm sending you. Lord, I'm reminded today of Hebrews 4 and 12 that the the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing as far as the division, soul and spirit. Many of us live out of the soul and not the spirit, and would you pierce that today and move us into the realm of living out of the spirit and obedience to you for your glory. Thank you that we have the privilege, God, and the responsibility of impacting the nations. Pray this in Jesus' name. Pray that every heart here, every person online, that this will be an anointed time where your spirit moves and changes us for your glory. Amen. All right, before you're seated, look at that. Got y'all doing a little exercise there. So children that wish to go to children's church can leave out that door. The rest of you, just take 30 seconds, greet those around you, would you? And then we'll get into the Word. seated. Back of your bulletin are the sermon notes today. Also, you can always access the notes on the app. Those watching online, you can download our app and the notes are always available for you there. As the Father has sent me, so send I you. We're in week two of our missions conference, final Sunday, and we're focusing on what it means to be sent. Throughout the Bible, God has sent his people. He sent Abraham to a land that he didn't even know where he was going until he God has walking, sent his leaving. The Israelites were sent to be a light to the Gentiles, even though they weren't very good at doing that. Jesus gives the Great Commission in Matthew 28, where he says, go into all the world, make disciples of all nations. He sends his people to the nations. 2 Corinthians 5 says, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were entreating through us be reconciled to God. Acts 1 and 8, that you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses. So over and over, literally Genesis Revelation, Revelation ends with every tribe, nation, tongue, and people worshiping before the Lord, which means people will come to Christ from every tribe, nation, tongue, and people. It's guaranteed. It's foreordained. And we have the privilege, but responsibility also, of being sent being the vessels through which God reaches the world. And so today, we're going to put one verse under the microscope. As the Father sent me, Jesus said, so send I you. So there's something in the way in which the Father sent Jesus that is going to be very important for how Jesus sends the church. Let me say that again. There's something significant about the way the Father sent the Son that applies to the Son sending us, His people. So let's look at that. How did the Father 
send the Son. First of all, Jesus left his home, that home being heaven. Let me remind you, John chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. Say, with God. Then in verse 14, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus existed from eternity past. This is one of the mysteries of the Godhead. Jesus didn't come into existence 2,000 years ago when he was born to the Virgin Mary. That's when he became flesh. But the Word was with God in the beginning. And so Jesus, when he came to earth 2,000 years ago through the Virgin Mary, that was the Father sending the Son. He had to leave the glory of heaven, the sinlessness of heaven, the perfect fellowship with the Father that he had in heaven to come to earth. So that's the first way in which the Father sent the Son. He left his glory and his home and his sinlessness and his comfort, you might say, of heaven to come to earth. Second, he came to a sin-infested world to enter a sin-infested world. When Jesus came 2,000 years ago, he entered the muck and the mire of sin, disease, demons, relational conflict, of the lame, the, the deaf, the, 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 the harassed, he came to a sin-infested world because of his love, because he cared, because he had compassion. He looked out over Jerusalem in one of the passages, and it says, he, he was filled with compassion because he saw that they were like sheep without a shepherd. So Jesus comes into this messy world. And what does he do? He comes and he brings truth like no other, teachings like no other. And he wasn't big talk, no do. He's big talk, big do. He heals the sick. He casts out demons. He gives life. He gives new hope. He gives forgiveness. He gives mercy. Jesus comes and he ministers to people in that sin-infested world. So thirdly, he comes with the good news of himself. He didn't ultimately come to change the government. Hey, listen, I'm all for political involvement. You guys know that. He didn't come ultimately to bring about an economic, you know, turn of, of the economy of the day. He, he didn't come bringing some psychological, psychobabble solution. He came to bring the good news of himself. He says, I'm the answer. I'm the one who comes to set the captives free. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Jesus comes and he says, I'm the one you need. I'm the one you need for forgiveness. I'm the one you need for healing. I'm the one you need for hope. I'm the one you need for reconciliation. I'm the only one who can cast out demons and raise the dead. Hallelujah. Had a young man come up to me after first service. And he says, well, you know, you mentioned about Jesus being the only way, but but other religions say that they're the only way. And I said, listen closely. Where lies the difference? I said, Jesus himself said in John 14, 6, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Jesus made that claim. So you need to always put your focus on Jesus. Jesus made that claim. He backed up that claim by rising from the dead. Mohammed never rose from the dead. Buddha never rose from the dead. No other religious leader or founder rose from the dead. So Christ rose from the dead proving that he was who he claimed to be. And then there's one other thing. Remember, he's the only one who brings the solution for sin. 
He's the only one who can remove the barrier between us and God, and it's by his blood. No other means can give us forgiveness. So he claimed it, he rose from the dead to prove it, and his blood is the only means whereby we can be reconciled to God. That's why he could say, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. That's good news, folks. Jesus left his home to a sin-infested world with the good news of himself. So that is how the Father sent the Son. Now let's make application from there of how He sends us. First of all, we leave our home. Like Jesus, we're called to leave the comforts of our home, leave the comforts of just being with believers. How do we do this? We do this in a number of ways. We leave our home through prayer. Do you realize that every time you intercede for somebody in prayer, you're leaving your home and you're touching that person, you're touching that nation, you're touching that place in which you are praying. This is one of the mysteries of prayer. We cannot fully explain it. Sometimes it feels like your prayers are bouncing off the ceiling. You wonder if it's doing any good, but we go back to his word. We go back to his promises that prayer is powerful. Prayer can bind the evil one. Prayer can loosen the Holy Spirit. Prayer can touch people and nations and groups and campuses even while we're on our knees. We leave our home every time we go to work, every time we go to the store, every time we go across the street to our neighbor, every time, college students, you go to class. You're leaving your comfort. You're leaving your surroundings. Just like Jesus left heaven, you, we leave our home. We leave our comfort to go to the lost, to go to places where people need Jesus. So we remind ourselves that as we do that every day, and again, it can be across the street, it can be across the world, we leave our home to do what? To go to a sinful world, just like Christ. We enter a sinful world. I don't have to tell you, do I, how needy our world is today? Man, the problems, the complexity of issues, the division, the addictions, the immorality, the conflicts, all kinds of problems in our world today. It's, it's just as if they've always been under the surface, but it's like this volcano just erupting. Doesn't it grieve your heart? You can hardly watch news or go on your phones without getting depressed if you're not careful because the problems are intense. The problems are multiplying. Our world is so broken. And I have to remind myself regularly that if they're not following Jesus, how could I expect them to live with biblical values? Much as I get frustrated over the trends of our country and what is happening in our nation today, I have to remind myself it's because they're far from God. When you leave God, when you leave his word, when you leave his truth, when you abandon what he has said in his word, what do we expect? Because the wages of sin is death, physical death, spiritual death, emotional death, financial death, over and over. And a person will reap what they sow, and when they sow to the flesh, they're reaping corruption. So our world is broken. And may God give us his heart of compassion. Always, beloved, we need, and I say this so often, but it needs to be repeated, we must always bring together truth and grace. Never one without the other. We stand on the truth of God's word. 
We must not abandon the morality of the Bible. We must not abandon what he says in his word. His word does not change. Society changes. Culture changes. Supreme Court will make various decisions. That does not determine truth. God's word determines truth, and we must stand upon it fearlessly, and yet at the same time, never doing so without grace and love. And, and Jesus is our model here. John chapter 1, he was full of grace and truth. You say, how do you, how do you know when to apply more grace, when to apply more truth? The Holy Spirit. There's no formula. It's, it's following the leading of the Holy Spirit. And each situation will be different. I mean, you think about Jesus with the Pharisees, you brood of vipers. That doesn't sound very loving. <laughs> you're like whitewashed tombs. You're all clean on the outside, but inside you're full of dead man's bones. Well, where's the grace there? And then with the woman who had, that was sinful, that was anointing his feet, the Pharisees are going, if he only knew. If he only knew who she was. Oh, he knew. He knew more than they did. And yet he gives her grace and love and acceptance. So sometimes it's heavy grace, sometimes it's heavy truth, but you got to remember, truth is not truth without grace, and grace is not grace without truth. It's not a loving thing to tell somebody that their lifestyle is acceptable to God when it's not. That is not loving. It's not the loving thing to do to say to a person that is living an immoral lifestyle that is going to make them hellbound if they don't repent, how loving is it to say, oh, it's okay. You're helping assign them to their death sentence by affirming something that God doesn't. So there must be truth and there must be grace. It's the loving thing to do to speak the truth. But listen, we always must bring them to the cross. This is where we point people. This is where there's forgiveness. This is where there's love. This is where there's grace. This is where there's healing. This is where there's hope. And so finally, we leave our home to enter sinful world to do what? To bring the gospel. Number three, to bring the good news of the gospel of Jesus. Again, our ultimate answer is not political. It's not economic. It's not psychological. It's Jesus. It's the gospel. So beloved, let me remind us all of how good, good this news really is. Some of you are going to grasp it for the first time today and you're going to get born again. When we talk about the good news of the gospel, what exactly do we mean? Oh, my friends, it's the most glorious, most liberating, most eternally good news ever given. For this news is that God is holy and perfect. This diagram you can use to share the good news with others. God is holy and perfect, and all that he is and all that he does is perfect. He has the best plan for our lives. He's the one that determines truth. However, we in our pride, listen closely, we think that our way is better than his. Our truth is better than his, and our morality is better than his. So what do we do? We go our own way, we do our own thing, and we break his moral law and thought, word, and deed, things done, things left undone. Because of that, there's separation between us and God. Listen, to remain righteous and both, and both righteous and loving, God first must punish sin or he would cease to be righteous. But because he is so merciful... He inflicts that punishment on his own son, Jesus, when he died on the cross. And when we turn from our sin, repent and embrace and receive the payment he offers, we are forgiven 
eternally loved, reconciled with God. At that moment when we're born again, Jesus forgives us all of our sins, hallelujah, past, present, and future. We enter into a relationship with God that endures for all of eternity. He wipes away those things that have kept us from him. He gives you the very righteousness of Jesus. He imputes upon your spirit the righteousness of Christ. He gives you a new heart. No matter what you've done that you're ashamed of, it is wiped clean. Hallelujah. All that holds you guilty before God is removed in a moment. That's the good news of the gospel. You can accept that today. You can begin that relationship today, the relationship for which you were created by God to experience. Just yesterday at 5.45 a.m., I get a text from a man that I went to seminary with. He was one of my best friends in seminary. He and his wife have been married the same amount of years that my wife and I have, 38 years. His wife has been battling cancer. At 5.45 a.m. yesterday, he texted me. His wife, Julie, is her name. Julie is with Jesus. Man, my heart just broke. I, I can't imagine losing my wife of 38 years. And as we texted back and forth and talked about the blessedness of heaven and how amazing it is that the God of the universe would create this place called heaven, he didn't have to. He could have said, when you die, it's done, it's over. But God, because he loves you and wants you with him forever and ever, created a literal place called heaven. How cool is that, you guys? I mean, it's pretty awesome that he does all the stuff I just mentioned. He forgives, he accepts us. We have a relationship. We have the Holy Spirit living in us. We're brought into community. How cool is all of that? And it's like, if that's not enough, he says, oh, and by the way, when you die and leave earth, you're going to spend eternity with me in a place where there's no sin, sickness, Satan, or any problems. Folks, if you, if you come up with something better than this, let me know. But I don't think it's out there. This is the greatest news ever given. And so as much as my friend and brother is grieving, the Bible says we, we, we grieve. We miss those that leave her. We grieve, but not as those who have no hope. And hope is the confident expectation of what is to come. That's a great definition of hope. It's not this, well, I hope Georgia wins next week. No, it's a confident expectation of what we know for sure is going to happen, and that is eternal life. And so God does all of that, and it's called the good news of the gospel. That's what we leave our home to bring to a sinful world, beloved. And we need to make sure we keep the main thing the main thing. You guys know, and I said it before, I'm all for political involvement. I believe we need to be active in our culture. It's part of our mission statement. Culturally engaged. We need to take a stand for truth. We need to take a stand for our children. We need to take a stand for what's happening in different public arenas today. But ultimately, let us remember that the ultimate answer is not that. The ultimate answer is the gospel. Because the gospel changes a person from the inside out. It changes the heart. That's the good news that we bring to a sin-infested world. This week... I was able to go to the Great Exchange for a little bit of time, and one of, the men that I, one of the young men that I spoke with, and we do a survey in the Great Exchange, and I love that because it gives the other person the opportunity to express their opinions. And so as people walk by, this is the way we do it at the Great Exchange. By the way, it's the third Thursday of every month. Come whenever you can. And students are walking by. Do you have a few minutes to 
to do a spiritual survey. I don't know, my experience, William, I don't know what yours is, probably 80% say no. I'm too busy, i got to get to class. And that's just, that's fine. I don't, um, bless them, have a great day. But under the sovereignty of God, this is where believing in the sovereignty of God is so practical. God will bring the people he wants you to talk to. And so this young man said, sure. And so we begin this survey. But one of the questions is, what do you believe happens after you die? Never had a guy respond like this. He goes, that's a heavy question. I try not to think about it. That scares me. Exactly what he said. Looked him in the eye. And I said, well, if you don't know Jesus, it ought to scare you. And then we began to talk. And basically what he has chosen to do at this point in his life is he knows in his heart that eternity is a real deal. He knows in his heart that we aren't reincarnated. He knows in his heart that when we die, it just doesn't end. Because every person has that in their conscience. It's from God. But he's been pushing that aside. Romans 1 talks about suppressing the truth. He doesn't want to face it. Now, you can make up your own truth. You can pretend that doesn't exist, heaven and hell, but it does. And you don't determine truth. God does. You can believe all you want that something is true, but if it goes against God's word, you're going to be found one day to be false. He will never be found to be false. He's always truthful. And so anyway, it was interesting because we went further, and at the end it says, if you could know God personally, would you be interested? Love that question. He said, yes. So then I switched to the, would you like to know God personally booklet. We begin to go through the gospel. God loves you. We're sinful. Jesus died for you. You must receive Christ. We get right to the prayer to receive Christ. Because he says, which circle represents your life? The one on the right. I'm directing my own life. The, one on the, the other one is the, is the Christ-directed life. Which one do you want to be? He pointed to the Christ-directed life. We go through the prayer. Right at that moment, I got to get to class. That's okay. You say, well, that was the devil interfering. No, it wasn't. That's just life. That's just, if, if he's going to get saved, I believe he's going to get saved. So I give him my card with my number, leave him with the track, Hey, love to hear from you if you have any questions. And if you do pray that prayer, please let me know. So I'm waiting on that. Then later, talk with this young lady. And she said, as so many people do, that we get to heaven by our good works. If you were to stand before God and he were to say, why should I let you into heaven, what would you say? And she, like so many, said, well, because I've been a good person. We are able to talk further and explain to her that it's not by works. And so the bottom line is this. We have the privilege of leaving our home, whatever that means. Yes, to go to the nations, and we'll get to that in a minute, but it may be across the street. It may be across the campus. Folks, do you realize, let me, let me share this with you. Do you realize that currently just international students that are here, listen to this. You see, I'm, I believe, now I believe we're to go to the nations, but I also believe God has brought the nations here. And there is something right in front of us here in Athens that we need, I need to have a greater awareness of, and that's international students. Half of the nations with unreached people groups are represented at UGA. Listen to this statistic. There are 238 nations 
that are unreached. Now, within those nations are people groups. You could have a nation and have a 500 different people groups within that nation. People groups are any group that have a distinct language or culture that's unique to them. Of the 238 unreached people nations, 118 are at UGA. UGA students could potentially come from one of 6,500 groups of the 7,000 unreached people groups. Listen to this. China, India, and South Korea sent 1,500 students to UGA in 2019. Now, these students, they know their language, they know our language. That's a pretty interesting deal, isn't it? If they come to Christ here, they will likely go back to that country, already knowing that language, of course, and being leaders in that country. Talk about an opportunity to impact the world. All right. Told you I would give you a bonus point from John, 1, John 20, so go back to John 20. And I want to share what he says right after the as the Father sent me, even so I'm sending you verse. Verse 22, and when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, what? Receive. Who? The Holy Spirit. Why did he do that? Very simply. Because what he is calling us to do in going as he was sent is impossible in our own strength. You and I cannot do this thing called the Great Commission on our own. We do not have the strength, the power, or the wisdom. And that is why, hallelujah, he gives you the Holy Spirit. The moment you accept Christ, the moment you're born again, the Bible says the Holy Spirit, same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, comes to live inside of your spirit. Hallelujah. It's the Holy Spirit who transforms you. It's the Holy Spirit who gives you the desire to follow Him. It's the Holy Spirit who empowers you to obey. It's the Holy Spirit who is the one, greater is He that's in you than He the devil that's in the world. You and I can only do what I'm talking about today in, through, and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Are you filled? Are you filled with the Spirit? Are you asking Him every day to empower your life? Because if you're going about the Christian life trying to do it on your own, it will be utterly frustrating and absolutely fruitless. Because you and I are never intended to live the Christian life on our own. We're called to something that is so much higher, so much bigger, so impossible in our flesh that it cannot be done without the Holy Spirit. But oh, hallelujah, he gave you his spirit. He puts his presence and power in you. The minute you're born again, the very presence and power of the Spirit of God comes to live inside of you, and He can do in you and through you what no one else can. He gives you gifts. He gives you desire. He transforms you from glory to glory, and He will lead you and direct you. Oh, beloved, be filled with the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. My life was transformed when I understood what it meant to be filled with the Holy Spirit. First two years of my Christianity were David trying hard to be a good Christian. That does not do well. Now, it made me look good on the outside. Everybody said, David's a great Christian. David shares his faith. David's in a Bible study. David's discipling others. David had his quiet time every day, but I was doing it in David's power. Then I got frustrated. I was about burned out. And then, praise God, I was introduced to the power of the Holy Spirit. And we don't have to get into some charismatic, non-charismatic stuff. Look, I don't care what you call it. I just want it. I'd rather have it. 
and not know what to call it than to know what to call it and not have it. And you can debate all day long about the baptism of the Spirit, the filling of the Spirit, speaking in tongues, all that. All I say is, I want all that He has for me. I don't really care what you call it. I just want all of His power, all of His presence, all of His gifts if He'll give them to me. I want everything He'd have for me. And I'm telling you, right here we see how much we need the Holy Spirit to do this. So be filled every day. So here's the summary. We leave our home to enter a sinful world with the gospel of Jesus. So simple. So profound. All right. Let's go now to how we can practically apply this. Three things. Pray, give, and go. There are 8 billion people on the planet today. 3.4 billion are unreached. Within that are 7,000 unreached people groups. This is why we first pray. Just like Jesus, again, we follow his model. In John 17, Jesus prayed. Prayed for his 12, but he prayed for those who would come to know him through the 12. So he was essentially praying for the world. What a privilege we have to literally impact the world through prayer. You leave your home, you leave your comfort every day when you pray. And one thing that I have found helpful in helping my heart stay expanding for the gospel, I've used this before, but some of you, your heart for the world is about like this. God wants to do this. Just take it a little further. Take it a little further. Take it a little further. That as we are transformed from glory to glory, it's our heart expanding more for his heart. Isn't that part of discipleship, part of maturity, part of sanctification, is that we become more like him. We know he has a heart for the world. We know he so loved the world he gave his son. So part of having a heart that beats with the heart of God, one of the greatest ways to have your heart beat more with the heart of God is pray. And so there's two, there's many out there, two that I use apps that you can download on a smartphone that help you pray for the world. Operation World and Joshua Project. So just jot those down. Operation World, Joshua Project. And Joshua Project, you Google that, but it'll come up unreached for the day, unreached of the day. Guess, guess what the unreached of the day was today on Joshua Project? Pakistan. What a coincidence. <laughs> We're talking about Victoria going to Pakistan. And so as we pray for workers, we pray for that nation to come to Christ. And you literally click, I prayed, and you see how many have prayed. I think when I did this early this morning, there were 369 people that had prayed for Pakistan. I became 370. And it's a kind of just a cool way, and it gives you some facts about that people group, and you just pray. 30 seconds, one minute a day. But what it does is it keeps your heart going a little more there because isn't it easy? It is for me where I'm so focused on America. I'm burdened for America. We have so many problems here. Yes, we do. But we're just a little part of the globe. Does God love America? Yes. Does God want America transformed? Yes. Does God want revival in America? Yes. It's not an either or. It's a both and. Bottom line though is we can become isolationists. I wrote about this in our weekly recently. We become spiritual isolationists where we're just concerned about our little world. And again, I'm not downplaying that. I'm just saying we've got to go beyond that. And this is a simple way, prayer. Second, give. Yes, money. The gospel's free. Ministry costs money. <laughs> it goes for churches. It goes for missionaries. Everybody out on that lawn today, on that missions fair, need support. 
And so you can get overwhelmed, can't you? It's like, man, I can't help everybody. Here's the way I operate. You don't have to do the same. I personally, my conviction is that my tithe, my 10%, goes to my local church. And then above that, I give offerings. This week, Dee Dee and I gave $200 to a couple that serves with crew. And so we give above the 10% to other needs and other ministries that we feel called to. No, you can't do everything, but you can probably do more than you're doing. And then what I love about what we do here is we're a tithing church. What does that mean? Well, we did this from the beginning. It was a conviction of mine that when I started this church, we're going to be a tithing church. 10% of everything given to the general fund goes to ministries outside of our church. 50% of that tithe, cross-cultural ministries. What's on that map? 25% local outreach. That would be people that minister in the U.S., Okay? And then 25% to benevolence, people who have a financial need. Since we started Living Hope Church, we have given over a half a million dollars in just 10 years from our tithing money. We support 17 cross-cultural workers, 10 local ministries through our tithing money. So when you give here, you can know you're giving to other ministries even when you tithe here. So that's giving. I love in Philippians 4. Actually, let's turn to that. Philippians 4, 15 and 16, real quick. Philippians 4. You can see Paul here in Philippians expressing his gratitude as one of their missionaries, <laughs> one of their workers. Paul was one of the workers sent out and supported by the church of Philippi. And in Philippians 4, 15, he expresses his thanks to them for their faithfulness in supporting him. He says in verse 15, and you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. So at that point, they were his only supporting church. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. They supported him. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. As they gave, the credit in their spiritual eternal bank account was increasing. If you want to really go deep into this, go read the book by Randy Alcorn, The Law of Rewards. Literally, he believes there is a spiritual credit account in eternity, and the degree to which you give financially toward things that are eternal, toward the gospel, toward ministries, toward your church, toward missionaries, that your, the credit, so to speak, in heaven, this is not earning your salvation, but it is a greater reward. You will receive in heaven a greater reward based upon your faithfulness partly in giving while on earth. And again, if you want to really get into that theologically, read Randy Alcorn's The Law of Rewards. Finally, go. Jesus came to us. We are to go to the world. We're to go to our neighbor. We're to go to the campus. But we do have a responsibility to go into all the world. Now, I want to make a case real quick for how important it is to do short-term missions. Most of you have the opportunity, while you're, if you're healthy enough, to do a short-term trip. I cannot tell you how transforming this is. I went on my first short-term trip in 1982. I was a junior at UGA. I was involved in Campus Crusade, now called Crew, and that summer unlike other summers where they made a multitude of opportunities available, 
that summer, they said, we really want to focus on the country of Japan. And so they recruited from all over the nation 400 students, and I was one of them, that went to Japan for seven weeks. We had to raise $3,600, which was a lot back then. And for seven weeks, I spent in Tokyo working at Gakshuin University, where the English-speaking clubs had invited us Americans to come and help them learn their conversational English better. What a great opportunity, because they needed to learn English better. We got a chance through those relationships to share the gospel. Seven weeks in Tokyo. Then we spent five days in Hong Kong. And then we spent a week in China. While we were in Hong Kong, they called us in in groups of 20 into a little room in the hotel in Hong Kong. They had boxes of material. Boxes of Chinese Bibles. Boxes of Chinese gospel tracts. Back then it was called the Four Spiritual Laws. They said, now you are not required to do this. This is not part of your trip. But if you're willing, we are going to give every one of you that are willing two Bibles and two gospel tracts in Chinese. Now you cannot offer to give it to anybody because of the restrictions in this country. And if something bad happens, we might be forbidden from coming here ever again. But if someone asks you or if you just have a natural opportunity then you can give it. Of course, I said, yeah, I want to take two Bibles and two tracts. This is cool. Well, my brother was able to give his to somebody because somebody asked him, because he was, a, he was like the team leader on these buses that we took across China. I got to go to the Great Wall and other places. But nobody ever asked me for one, so I've got these two with me. It's the night before we're to leave. I'm in my hotel room, and I'm thinking, oh, I could take these back. Put them on my shelf for a souvenir display. How cool would that be? No, it'd be a waste. Why would I have two Chinese Bibles and two tracts on my shelf when I don't even speak Chinese and they're not for me anyway? So, came up with this brilliant idea. I'm going to go on a jog. I put the Bible in a track in a plastic bag, Ziploc bag. Got a Bible in a track, got a Ziploc bag at the hotel. So I had two bags, each had a Bible and a track in it. 4 a.m. I get up and I go on a jog and I wrap them in a towel from the hotel. I just said, Holy Spirit, lead me. Holy Spirit, show me what I'm going to do with these. Well, I'm jogging and I look down this trail or this road and they're doing some construction. The construction workers hadn't gotten there yet. But there's these big pipes that, they've, that they're going to lay in the ground that day or someday. And so I went, okay. Went and jogged up that little road. Put the, the one uh, Ziploc bag with the Bible and the track in it in that pipe. Kept running. Then I come to a rice field, and I noticed that no, some of the workers had started coming, but they were like hundreds of yards away. They started working to, to work early, but they hadn't started yet. So I felt led of the Holy Spirit, take that one other packet, and I threw it in the rice field. I run back to the hotel. When I come back, I look down that one road, and sure enough, some of the construction workers had come and were, had already taken out of the bag what was in there and were looking it over. Now, I have no clue what happened with those little materials. But I'm telling you, I believe when I get to heaven, I cannot wait to have a bunch of Chinese come up to me and say, hey, my great-great-grandfather, he was working in that rice field that day. He took that Bible, he took it home, he got radically saved, he began to write pages from it, ripped pages out, and we passed it all over the village. I got saved because of that, and who knows what could happen because of one step of obedience. We have those opportunities every day, beloved, and it's a privilege to go. Because of that summer, God did something in my heart that has never gone away. 
And I have never felt called to go permanently overseas, but I've done 20 mission trips in my life in 16 countries. And every time, God just takes my heart and he expands it a little bit more. So I'm proud of our missions team here because I'm here, we're unveiling to you today for the first time, kind of a new and more advanced strategy here at Living Hope and how we're going to help people go. So real quickly, just follow what's on the screen. We kind of have levels of involvement. First, you can go without leaving Athens. That's international students or refugees. Second, you can go without a plane ticket. <laughs> We're hoping to send a team next summer to Clark... To, I'm sorry, go without a plane. I'm getting ahead of myself. Go without a plane ticket. That would be Clarkston. About an hour and a half from here, Clarkston, Georgia. I graduated from Clarkston High School. When I was there, it was not diverse. Now it's one of the most diverse square miles in America. You can meet, meet, meet people from all kinds of nations in Clarkston. That's just a day trip. We've sent teams there. Number three, you can go with a plane ticket but no passport. We're hoping next summer to send a team to Colorado to work with Native Americans. Number four, go with a plane ticket, a passport, but it's not very far. <laughs> you see the, the progression here. And that would be like Nicaragua or Guatemala. Five, go with a plane ticket, a passport, it's far away, and it's open to the gospel. That's like what we do in Africa, in Uganda and other African nations. Six, getting a little more intense now. Go with a plane ticket, a passport, it's far away, and you got to be really careful in what you do because it's kind of open but not fully open. That would be like the Balkans or maybe a trip to Rome with Matt Maytag. And finally, you go with a plane ticket, a passport, it's far away, and it's closed to the gospel. That's Southeast Asia, the 1040 window. You have to be super careful. Our heart here is that everyone find a place in that seven-step strategy. Start where you can and go where you haven't been. Now I want to honor somebody that has been incredibly faithful in terms of world missions. This man uh, has done 48 trips to 28 different nations. 48 trips to 28 nations while maintaining a company. You want to stand? I love it. He recently had a stroke. We're praying for his healing, that he'll be able to return to continue to do what he's done. But it is my honor today to present a special plaque of recognition to Gip Marchetti. Can you pull that out, please? And um, between services, he said, I don't deserve this. And I said, sorry, I'm the senior pastor. I'm going to give it to you anyway. <laughs> and uh, you, you, you do deserve it because the Bible says that we are to give honor to whom honor is due. So Living Hope Church, special recognition presented to Gip Marchetti for your obedience and faithfulness in missionary service. Go and make disciples of all nations. Gip, we love you, brother. All right, I want you all to extend your hands. Just, we're going to join our faith in prayer. Right? Extend your hands out to Gip as we pray. Father, we thank you for this obedient servant. Thank you for the example that he has been to me and so many others. And God, we pray in the name of Jesus that you just fully heal and restore him from this stroke. That you touch his brain, touch his, all the connective tissues, everything about uh, what has happened through this stroke. We ask you, Lord, to do a supernatural work in his body, to restore him so that he can get back on the field as I know his heart desires. And we love you, Lord, and thank you for this brother and the example that he is in Jesus' name. Amen. Love you, brother. Amen. Give that brother a hand again. All right.
Father sent the Son, which meant he left his home to a sin-infested world with the good news of himself. The Son sends you and me to leave our home, to go to a sinful world with the gospel of Jesus. We do that through prayer, giving, and going. All right, we're going to go in now to a prayer time. If the worship team would come on up, but here's the way we're going to do our five-minute prayer time. There are several stations you can go to. There's the section over here, the nations. Some of you just may want to go over there and just pray for some of our workers on the wall. Maybe your heart is really burdened for Athens and all the needs in our community. Just maybe gather over here at this banner, pray individually, or huddle up in groups at the Athens banner. Uh, the wall of compassion is to write the names of unsaved people. And by the way, if people get saved, that you write their names, get a bright marker and put saved and put the date if you know it. It'd be cool to see that whole wall, just a lot of those names having saved written over it. That's the wall where you write names of people that don't know Jesus. By the way, throughout the week, I'll see people come in here and praying on that wall. I love to see that. They just come and just pray for those people. And then maybe today you, you've realized that you're not saved. Maybe today you, through that diagram, you've realized, I don't know that I've crossed from this side to that side. Today you can get born again. You can receive Christ. So if a few people from our prayer team would be at the salvation banner, they're there to pray with you if you want to give your heart to Christ and be born again today. Other prayer team with the lanyards, if y'all would just be spread out. If you have a need not related to these, they'll pray with you. But it's just going to take five minutes. And I uh, just uh, encourage you to go to one of these prayer places and pray. Father, we love you. Thank you for the incredible good news of the gospel. Thank you that it's relevant for every person, every tribe, nation, tongue, and people. And now, Holy Spirit, just direct us as we go into this time of prayer. Jesus' name. Just go to whatever spot is uh, most applicable to you.